Hey, welcome to The Oversights, the podcast where we make sure that films from, I don't know, 30 years ago don't get lost in today's world with uh, young adults coming up. I'm Travis Knox. Across from me is Luca Roar. Hey, Luca. Hello, hello. How are you doing? I'm doing well. A little nervous on this one. Little, I'm, <laughs> yeah? I know I've said that before, this one again. Um, she's got to have it. Spike Lee's uh, first movie. His first movie? I actually didn't know that. That was his first movie. Interesting. Wow. Where do we even start with this one? Um, uh, let, me pre- let me preface a little bit. Not preface, but I, I will just tell you. My personal standpoint for this movie, uh, I started my college career at UMass Amherst, and I was in my dorm, Kant Southwest. Shout out, shout out to Kant Southwest. Some guys down the hall had rented it on VHS, and they were not film people by any means. Like This wasn't film school. It was just, I don't even remember what they're, whatever. They weren't film students. But word quickly spread that they'd, found a movie that was unique and unlike anything else and it had been financed you know shoestring mostly on credit cards and somebody put this together and that it's actually really good so we watched it they watched it again we all crowded into a dorm room and watched it and mind you I had no real understanding of the business of Hollywood at the time I didn't know the difference between an independent movie and a studio movie I mean now it seems obvious but at the time had no idea and so I think I was just completely blown away that an individual could figure out a way to tell a complete story, get it done, get it shot, get it released. I mean, I think I've read the budget's like 160 grand. Um, you know, this is that classic filmmaker thing of like, get the movie done and we'll figure out how to finish it later. And that's what they did. You know, they got this thing in the can. And he'd managed to pull, Spike had managed to pull some grants and from some New York artists, things like that. So he pulled together the first 30, 40 grand, but then the rest was just borrowing money, having people just give them money, and like I said, I, credit cards. Um, which, you know, we'll talk about Robert Townsend, another one. He, he's another famous credit card movie guy. But And I I, I guess what I'm getting at is, that's the last time I'd seen this. I, and that would have been probably spring of 1990. So it had been 30 years easily since I'd seen this movie, and I'd only seen it one time. Didn't really remember the movie that well, mm-hmm. but I remembered the feeling I had afterwards. You know, and I think to a certain level, me personally, like it made me more excited about movies, which is why I decided to get out of UMass. It, it, it built up. There's more to that story, which isn't long in this podcast, but it's just whatever. But it, it was part of that because I started thinking about how movies get made. Um, and, I, and I'll just say, like, now looking at it again, you know, this came out in August of 86. So I saw it, you know, three, four years after it came out, but I'd never heard of it. Like, I was not exposed to the world of these kinds of movies. Um, you know, Spike Lee would immediately jump from this into the studio system, school days, do the right thing. And then, you know, we switched over. I love Inside Man, Summer of Sam. And, you know, last few years, he's still going strong, Black Klansman and Defy Blood. So, but this is where that career started. So I'm going to, I'm going to stop talking, but just you know, from my point of view, and I'll tell you what I think of it, looking at it again all these years later. Um, I, yeah, I, I just, I, had, I, I just wanted to, I wanted this to be part of this podcast series for a very specific reason. And it wasn't just the merits of the movie, which you can probably you see where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. But you, knowing nothing about it, didn't even realize this was Spike's first movie, so I commend you for not doing research um, and just watching these cold coming in. What's your takeaway for this one? It's uh, it's interesting. You know, I, I've seen Medicine for Melancholy. That's uh, Barry Jenkins's, I think, first, or one of his first. And I saw a lot of parallels with that, just in terms of, like, you know... Um, almost feels like it was shot on like shot on video and it has a VHS quality to it. Um, black and white. 
very indie, very shoestring budget. Um, but what really made kind of made this one step as like I guess stand out for me was just how unique the style is. Like I don't think I expected it to almost have that documentary like very cinema verite vibe to it with like literally these characters looking at the camera and talking to the camera. Um, sometimes to the detriment of the movie, right? Where I I was actively wondering, are these non-actors or are these bad actors? Right. Um, there's some point. Yeah. So it, it all kind of played into the vibe, but I still, when I finished it, wasn't quite sure. And I wrote this down where I thought it was really interesting as this unique style. I'm not sure I really get it um, overall, though I did enjoy my my experience with it. Um, I know that they, that Spike was involved in like a, a Netflix adaptation, like as a TV series, and I'm curious how that learned its lessons from this. But that is for later on down the line, maybe. I hope um, you've done that research because I have not. Yeah, I just know that it exists and that it ran for two seasons. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it was interesting to watch. I am definitely, I don't know that I would watch it again. I probably would not. But I thought it was interesting to see where Spike came from. And it definitely isn't just like, oh, just another movie. There is something more to it that makes it maybe worth a look. Fair enough. And I, and I will point out, yeah, documentary quality is an interesting way to put it. There's a lot of breaking the wall. I get it. Uh, for me, well, not just for me, definitely the weak part of the film is the acting, without a doubt. It doesn't hold up. Now, that could be a few different things. One, brand new director. Two, cast that was hadn't really done much. I did look them all up. They all went on after this, but nothing we've ever seen for the most part. They shot this thing in 12 days, I think. So, you know, you're flying through pages at that rate. It's it's hard to get great performances when all of those things are combined. Um, and, and it just could be also that they're just not, you know, they weren't the most terrific actors. You know, it's interesting. The, the reviews for this were just outstanding and out of sight. You know, people love the, the critics absolutely love this movie and they all but they but they all pointed out you know like it's definitely a flawed film the one i pulled new york times said it's pretty simple it has the power it has a power that is not dissipated by its own weaknesses mm. which so it's like that's part of it. And, it and i think that's a great way to put it um and i think you saying it's a good point to say you saw this one time don't need to see it again fair i think that's pretty fair i don't know this is something that you're not certainly going to go rush out to put this back in there yeah be like, oh let's what movie to watch tonight let's watch she's got to have it like i don't know about that um though i will say i mean it's a low time investment so if, if someone's like oh like i do want to see what this is like but i'm um, you know it's not even an hour and a half it's like hour 20 something like that 70 ish minutes so it's not too much of a commitment to ask if it's even if it's purely as like a study like let's see what this movie is like certainly like you said um you know this movie was made with with not really many means right so it, it's cool to see as a film student as a filmmaker what you can do at that level look i actually i absolutely agree with that i mean that's part of the reason i without having looked at this movie for said we're going to redo it or, re, or we're going to watch this that's the reason to me this was an important movie because look at what he managed to achieve with hardly any money he built a career off of it you know, you mentioned VHS. This was actually not shown on VHS. It was mostly Super 16. I think the dance sequence might have been 135, the one color segment in the movie. Um, but, I mean, that's where the money went. And I think about this in today's world. Like Sp- Spike Lee in 1986 did not have access to what everybody has access to today. I mean, 
like Tangerine was shot on an iPhone. I sometimes think the iPhone thing is a bit of a gimmick. So you mm-hmm. can say you shot on an iPhone because for a couple hundred bucks on Amazon, you can buy a camera that's far superior to your iPhone, as great as the iPhone is. But that said, you could make this movie for, you know, the cost of craft service today and still get a career. And I think that is what makes, that's the reason I wanted to watch it. There's a couple things in here I want to talk about that really do stand out as being exceptional filmmaking. And I can, and I don't think, I'm sure I didn't even think of it at the time. This is hindsight. But that's it right there. You know, it's from a student film. Yes, at times this actually feels like an elevated student film. And that was something that I wrote down while we were watching it, you know. Um, but that said, we've got some amazing student films, you know, and that's true. Yeah. It just shows so much promise. And I'm sure, again, the majority of that money went to the cost of the negative and the cost of processing. And you remove that from the equation with a camera that you bought at an Amazon for $200. And, you know, we've, anybody has access to something to cut it on, you can create this thing for nothing. And I think that is what makes this movie so special. Um, anyway, that, that's the technical aspect of it. I just have to say, and, and I'm like, listen, let me go back up. He also, he pulled, what I read, he pulled all his friends and family together. So he just got favors from everybody across the board where you're going to come in. You know, it's his, his father does the score, but he had just friends and family, like the crew, everything else coming in to give him a hand. They believe in him. And I talk about that a lot, you know, in classes, like especially when you're doing your first independent film, even the investors are, they're investing in you, not the movie, if that makes sense. And I think that's it here, you know? So everybody here, could be an all hands on deck it's like an amish barn raising you know we're getting everybody's coming in and we're going to make it work and then he did it and he did a good he did a, he really did a good movie i mean that's that's what boils down to in retrospect i didn't really think about it but my memory was that this must have been an early spike lee movie in the sense that how do i say this um it doesn't have you know there's certain incendiary qualities spike lee can put into his films that this doesn't have like it's com- it's completely void of it you know, which is interesting. Race is, I'm, I'm sure that there's different cultures would argue there's part, there's parts of it that are very specific of the African-American race living in Brooklyn at that time. But in general, like the themes of the movie are well beyond that. And it's way ahead of its time to a certain extent. You know, like it's, we talked about The Breakfast Club recently and, you know, she gives that speech, Molly Ringwald gives that speech of like, you're damned if you do, if you're damned if you don't. Like, I'm either a whore or I'm either a slut or a prude. I'm not going to win if I have sex or not. So here's the opposite of that. Here's somebody who would fall into, I hate to say, the slut category. That's me using Molly Ringwald from a different world of a different movie. But she makes no bones about it, which is fascinating. And I kind of remembered that's what the movie was about. But I didn't really. Like, a lot of it came back to me. What's fascinating I found interesting was that she's got three different suitors. And, of course, they're all wildly different. You know, oh, very they, much so, yeah. They fit the different things that a woman wants in life. And we'll talk about that in a second. But they know about each other. And so I actually looked up the definition of polyamory because I'm like, I don't know if it's just one big really, – and it, this actually fits into that world. It's, it's not just like the same people in love with each other. There's multiple couples or however that works. It's like if you're dating somebody who is dating somebody else, the other people are in that world. So the point is like he was even ahead of it then. Like with this movie today, I still think today there is the double standard that if you're a guy that has a lot of sexual conquest, add a, add a, way, you know, add a boy, whatever. And if you're a girl, you still fit into that other thing. But I mean polyamory is obviously something that, you know, is a word that gets thrown around a lot even in these halls. Um Kind of ahead of his time. I don't know. I, I felt that he was digging into something. He had he had a, something to say, 
And I think it was really well done. Like, I have to say, going back, like, it's not perfect, and at times it's painful, and there's one scene that I definitely wanted to shut down, which I'm on a second. I'm sure you know what it is. Like, I don't totally get it, but it's effective. But I think it could have been shorter and just as effective. It's definitely, yeah, I, I have to agree on the on the head of its time thing. Like, it is, this is exploring, like, sexual liberation. Um, but this is being, this is that in the 80s, um, especially with, you know, an all-African-American cast. Uh, I don't think it's something you would probably expect to see. Certainly you wouldn't see that at the, at the at the high level Hollywood, you know, productions. So it's cool to see it in this level. That's why I think it's definitely worth looking back at it. And it's certainly, you know, while you said it doesn't include some of the more incendiary elements of, 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 I guess themes that he would put in some of the other movies. Um, it's cool to see in this one that there still is at least a little bit of a nugget of it, that he is exploring something that other people are not talking about in film at that time. Um, I, I want to bring up some, cause you mentioned the, the scene in color. I thought that was actually a highlight of the movie. Just like, the unexpected shift to color. I'm not, but it kind of goes back into this that I said earlier where I don't quite get the movie in some ways, though I think it has an interesting style. I don't know really why or what, what the shift of color brought to the movie other than being, Oh, that's kind of cool for me. It's kind of makes it unique. I just didn't, I wasn't able to connect it to an overall like larger point that it's making. Like, is it because it's like this, really romantic moment and so that's why it's in color now uh so i think there's definitely a lot of things that maybe and maybe it's just me that i'm not quite getting it as opposed to the movie not quite hitting the mark it's supposed to um but yeah i just thought it was fascinating and, and talking to you now about it too it, it makes me appreciate it more or just like what he was doing at that time yeah i can't explain i don't really i mean I, i'd love to and i didn't stumble across it not a lot of research to be done on this one out there um i don't know the shift of color my thing is i just felt after a couple of minutes of the scene, I was ready to get on it. So I don't, it was, it was a welcome break and it was a very clever way to help establish the difference between these three suitors, right? What, was it a birthday? It was a birthday. birthday, yeah. So that's what I thought, like the, the, to me, my favorite scene is, I'll, I'll, t- I'll talk about this one first and back up to the favorite scene because they're tied together. You know, she goes out of the, the, Spike Lee goes out of the way to establish three completely different suitors. Like they're, totally different guys they all want her to be solo with her she's saying no okay starting with Mars the Spike Lee character who is this goofball that hasn't worked in five years but has $50 sneakers and rides around on his 10 speed like totally don't get that character and I think he's even a character of something I really don't know what he's a character of and I don't from her point of view like I can't explain what it is that he brings to the table to her. Like, and I don't know. And I, and, and maybe that, I don't know if it's a cultural thing or me being 50 years old. Like, I have no clue what that was. But he was a bit of comic relief because he's so goofy, right? But I love the difference between the other two characters and their approach to things. I don't, so you've, on one hand, you've got, let's just start. So this is the guy that, for her birthday, arranges to have this performance put on in some park not even a stage, it's a makeshift stage. You know, he pulls together favors and a little bit of money and makes it special, and she can see it. And he knows she's into art. I don't know if her job was art, if it was like graphic design or something, but she's clearly got art everywhere and she's doing it. So she, my point is like, this is Mr. Emotional. That's what that's what she gets out of this. Like, this is the guy, he's not probably not the toughest guy, might be a little, I don't know what the word is, but he, it's just that, like, that's what she feeds off of. And this is a perfect demonstration of that. He's gone out of his way to give her something that she's going to respond to in that way. Like, he's thought it through, and it means a lot and hits home. And I thought that was a wonderful way to do it. And the antithesis of that is that, to me, I was laughing out loud. I had no recollection of the scene. 
when it's not Mr. Wonderful, it's Mr. Body, who's a, I guess he's a model, and he just works out and looks at himself in the mirror all the time. And clearly that's what he's there for. He's fulfilling the really sexual lust and all that. But she strips down naked, jumps in bed, and he spends what has to be two minutes (laughs) folding those goofy 1986 shorts, uncreasing them, setting them down. They're not right. And she's just like, are you kidding me right now? It's like that guy for his birthday, for her birthday, I don't even, did he give her a present? Do we ever see? I think so. Yeah, because it's off screen. I'm sure like he's the one that like went to the mall and whatever poster was in like the national chain store, like he bought that for her. Like there was no real thought put into what she wanted. And that just split those two characters and we got what she got out of each one of those relationships. But that's the scene that I, I think is one of the funny scenes. Like I will think about that scene for a long time of that guy standing there in his underwear folding his shorts while there's this you know beautiful naked woman in bed waiting for him will just keep me laughing I, that's time. one of the ones I wrote down too I was like uh, how long Greer takes to undress is just ridiculous yeah, it's, it's insane <laughs> it's really really funny um, yeah I don't know I mean so I mean look I, we've talked about this before should, we, should this be remade well I think it kind of did they, they already did it with the Netflix show. Fair enough. Fair um, enough. I guess I haven't watched it, so I don't know if it's the same story, if it's a continuation of her character. I believe it's the same characters. I'm assuming it's just starting from scratch. I I think, I mean, I, I, I see why there was an interest in developing this into a show, whether it's modern age or not. It's more that now, here you have this, again, 70-minute, ish or so movie to establish these three different suitors. In fact, if you count the woman that's friends with her, that's even a fourth one uh, that all are vying for her attention. And so it's kind of hard to fully get, you know, the a full natural feeling arc. And I'm going to touch on the ending here a little bit. Um, I think the ending is a little I get what Spike's trying to do with the ending. I think it doesn't quite land as well because, again, I think it was so compressed for time uh, based on just the, the way the story went. So it definitely benefits from being, you know, a longer running TV show or if it had been a longer movie. Because, again, and, and like you said, it was ahead of its time, which means it's still timely now to, to touch upon these kind of themes that he's going for, this kind of story. Um, so I'm actually curious to see what the television show is like. I might I might look into that. Yeah, it's a good, I, don't, I just don't know. I haven't looked into it. Um, Thanksgiving dinner scene, fantastic. Probably my favorite scene in the movie. Um, my, my favorite line from from the movie is from that one where, where Greer, who's the the big macho, you know, model guy, just looks at her and says, "Nola, this food is indicative of marrying material." And they're all just trying to like, like I think Spike Lee's character, who by the way I no did not expect him to actually be acting in the movie, and he's actually one of the more memorable moments just because he's so his character's so weird in the in the film. But he's like, "Oh, I didn't bring anything. Was I supposed to bring something?" So they all act really funny in the scene. I think definitely I, I, there's a fun to having all these three very different characters come together at that dinner table. Um, there's a lot of comedy out of that. Yeah, I didn't see it coming. Um, but of course you have, it's like that, it's a great obligatory scene in the sense like did not see it coming. Of course you have to have that scene in the movie. Yeah, you know? just because they're all, I think I wasn't even quite sure, you know, they mentioned that they know of the other people. I just, I wasn't sure like, well, are they aware that she's dating everyone or do they just think that they're like friends so that scene really helps being like oh no they they all know that they're dating the same woman and they want to be exclusive with her um and also then that that i think that seems the catalyst for how the movie ends up playing out with the rest of it i think it's definitely the, the highlight of it for sure yeah all right um i guess the other question I always asks like where are you with recommending this to your peers 
You know, this is one where again, I you know, I did touch upon it's short, it's not a huge time investment. You can, you know, I say you can see where Spike Lee came from, but honestly, I just think you could start with a different Spike Lee movie and still get the same kind of experience like one of his older films. I don't know that there's, you know, again, it's interesting to watch. It's interesting style. I like kind of the doc feeling to it. I just don't know if you're really missing out on anything if you don't watch it. Um, because even the idea of like, oh, like we talked about, it's really cool to see how Spike got to do this with with a very low budget. But there's a lot of other movies out there, including Medicine for Melancholy by Barry Jenkins that has that same feeling of, oh, this is what you can do with a low-budget film. Well, you know, like that goes back to what you know we were saying in the beginning. To a certain extent, I think in today's world, like information, there's so much more information available, right? This actually was a little bit ahead of the independent film movement for sure, uh, but perhaps it was the start of it. You know, like Jim Jarmusch was big at that time, and Steven Soderbergh, it was probably three or four years after this, had made Sex, Lies, Videotape, which then put... Sundance on the map, and I'm sure the Sundance Institute would say they were already on the map, which they were, but <laughs> they've been around for much longer, but that was the year that that was the first big sale. It was Harvey would come in with Miramax and bought that, and that became a sensation. It's like suddenly there was this, and then the agents had to start going to Park City, so there became a real, it became the business. I think this was the start of it. So, yeah, you can watch any Spike Lee movie, maybe School Days, or certainly Do the Right Thing was the first one that pushed him to the mainstream where people knew you know, outside of that world, people knew Spike Lee was from Do the Right Thing. And that would come three or four years after this. I'm still going to maintain, if I'm an independent filmmaker and I'm thinking about borrowing money and making my own movie on a micro, micro budget, you got to watch it. Like you, you just That's the person that has to watch it. Like You have to see it. Because A, it worked. Spike Lee, we, everybody on the planet knows his name today. You know, it's like we all know who he is. He's an incredibly successful filmmaker. And that came from this. Like, without this, that didn't happen. So that's my argument on that. I do understand that there's better early Spike movies, for sure. But I think this is worth going back and taking a look at. And I would encourage it for that reason alone. If you're someone that's getting this business and you just want to be an agent, and that's your goal, like, you don't need to worry about it. But if you want to be a filmmaker and you want to start off on a low budget, I would do it. And I'm sorry, I I I didn't wrap it back to what you said. The Barry Jenkins situation may not have happened without this either. That's a good point, yeah. You know, so I think there's just a way to go watch this and take a look. Like, Tangerine's the same thing. We won't talk about that one on this podcast. It's too recent, but that's another one to go look at. I don't love that one all that much, but I certainly love his follow-up. So, and that that got him there. And so I will appreciate it for that. Is there any scene you think that, because I know you mentioned this scene that, that made you uncomfortable. Is there anything that, as, as we wrap up here, that if someone, yeah, it's the same independent filmmaker is looking at this movie, has it kind of to learn from it is there anything that they should be avoiding uh to maybe like not follow an example of and i don't know if i'm leading the question of like that really i'm assuming you're talking about the same scene i'm thinking of takes place towards the end of the movie that's like kind of off-putting the rape the, the, the quasi rape scene yeah i say quasi because please no women watch the movie and say that it's clearly rape scene i just mean in the form of it, it escalates yeah. into something else is a better way to put it i don't think it's anyway um well spike himself says he regrets it Gotcha. That's actually I, that's interesting. I, I, I'm glad you brought it up because I I I that down. I just hadn't gotten there. Um, he actually said he regrets it. So I guarantee you will not see that in the series if you watch it. Gotcha. He wishes he could go back and change that. Um, so yeah, and that's certainly through you know through the lens of today, it's 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 much much worse. Um, it's you know the on the other thing I thought was interesting when it started, and I and I knew it. And you're not you may not even get the reference. Do you know what lot? 
It reminded I was like, oh my god, this is this going to be like La Jetée? Was it that broken down where it's nothing but a series of still photographs? Because there's uh-huh. a lot of weird stuff. There's even a there's actually a great still photograph scene in the middle too. So he breaks to do that. And I don't know the answer. That could have just been from running out of money. Yeah, you know like, let's put some still photos in here to That's <laughs> make all up I got time. to do. You know, he's running out of money. There's a way to tell the story. Makes me think of another movie. I'm going to write it down. We're going to do in a couple of weeks now. There's another first-time movie that has something just like that. There's a funny scene in the middle that works specifically because that filmmaker's out of mind. We'll talk about that later time. All right. I think we answered the questions. That she's got to have it. Yeah. What are we doing uh, next week? Oh, I think I'm going to make you watch The Usual Suspect. <laughs> it's getting back to one of the originals that has come up in film school, and every time half the class hasn't seen that movie, and I just shake my head. This is one that makes I, – I, I cut everybody a lot of slack. This one makes me shake my head. You've definitely – you've talked this one up quite a bit, so I'm excited to get to talk about it next week. All right, man. I'll see you later. Thank Take you. Care. Bye, everyone.